0: Welcome to the Friday Men's Breakfast podcast brought to you by the Chapel Podcast Network. In this week's lesson from the Israelites' journey in the wilderness. So open your Bibles to Deuteronomy chapter 31 and join us as we continue to learn how the journey from bondage to freedom points us to Jesus Christ. All right, <clears throat> I will pray and, um, and, and we'll get into God's Word. So let's pray. Uh, Father, we know that your Spirit is among us. We know that you are... Uh, the God who saves and the God who leads and the God who brings us uh, to a place of deeper maturity in your Son, Jesus Christ, through your Holy Spirit within us as we meditate on the beauty of your truth found in your Word, as we uh, see even the beautiful revelation you have given us in creation. We know that all of these opportunities point to you and to Your Son, Jesus Christ, and the beautiful truth of the gospel of the good news of His resurrection. So help us today to be men who are equipped as disciples to become more astute and more aware of what You call us to be about in this world. We ask this in the name of Your Son, Jesus Christ, and through the power of Your indwelling Holy Spirit. Amen. Okay, as we have been learning The theme from our journey is that the journey from bondage to freedom points us to Jesus Christ. This morning, we will be looking at some selected passages from uh, Deuteronomy chapter 31, 32, and 34. I was not originally scheduled to present this material to you, but here we are. I had a supervisor in seminary who once said, you need to be ready to preach, pray, or die at any minute. And I think the original quotation was preach, pray, or prosper, but I don't, I don't buy that prosperity theology garbage. So here we are. Um, <clears throat> and who knows, you, I may call some of you to come up here to preach and pray, hopefully not die, but we'll um, we'll see what the Lord has for our time. And I I did get a chance to look at the passages. I always try, and I know some of you try to do this as well. If you know the passage ahead of time, you'll study it a little bit before you come. And thankfully, I guess I did that today. And so uh, we'll be reading from a few verses from chapter 31. And this may be more of an interactive stop, and let's just ask some questions along the way. So heck, if if you have a question, just maybe even raise your hand or say, hey, Hunter, um, or if you have a thought, or if you have another verse from Scripture that connects to what we're talking about, maybe this can be a week where we have some more interaction in that way. So don't be shy. But uh, let's let's just read chapter 31 to start, verses 1 through 8, and we'll make some observations. Um, and this is really coming to the end. I, I sh- should have included a map. I'm so sorry you guys have been deprived of maps now for two weeks or so. I think you're really you're really hungry for maps, Um, we'll have a map next week because it gets really good. The the conclusion of our study next week, really, we'll look at Joshua chapter 1 and part of Joshua chapter 3 and 4, where the Israelites actually cross the Jordan River and move into the the heart of this land that God promised His people, the land of Canaan. And it's just a beautiful moment of finally we're here. Um, But for now, we're still on that eastern side of the river of Jordan in the plain of Moab and Moses is again giving this wonderful pep talk to the people before they take possession of the promised land and this great marriage renewal of sorts of the covenant of reminding the people this is who God has called you to be he's called you out of the land of slavery to give you this new land where you can enjoy the freedom of worshiping Yahweh and Moses is also recognizing that his time is coming to an end and we'll read about that this morning so chapter 31 verses 1 through 8 so Moses continued to speak these words to all Israel and he said to them i am 120 years old today i don't know if that means that like that day was his birthday we 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 don't know that i think he's saying On this particular day, I'm 120 years old. The point is, he's up there in age. hes You could say he's past his prime. And Moses recognizes that his time living on earth and leading the nation of Israel through this experience is coming to an end. I am no longer able to go out and come in. The Lord has said to me, you shall not go over this Jordan. And that's a sad statement for Moses to make, right? The recognition that back 40 years before, when the people were frustrated, they didn't have water, Moses was frustrated, and God said to him, speak to the rock, and the rock will usher forth water. In frustration, Moses struck the rock with his staff twice. And in that, provided an example to the Israelites, not of self-control and of spiritual leadership, but just like them, one of complaint and anger and frustration. And because of the high standard that God set for His servant Moses, the consequences were also high. And God said, you will not be able to enter into the promised land. Verse 3, The Lord your God Himself will go over before you. He will destroy these nations before you so that you shall dispossess them And Joshua will go over at your head as the Lord has spoken. So Moses is reminding the Israelites of what's really, who really is their true king, their true leader. And that is who? It's the Lord. It's God. He is the one that they are ultimately following. Moses is just his representative. Joshua would just be his representative. But God is the one. Because Moses wanted the people to have confidence in him, recognizing all that he had taken them through and all that he wanted to provide for them in the nation, in the land of Canaan. And um, they were going to dispossess the people, which is the same word as possess, it's just used in, in the opposite way. So Dale, on a few months or weeks back, said in order for possession to take place, dispossession must take place first. That's the dispossessing of the ways of the Canaanites, the dispossessing of the ways of the world in order that we, as followers of Christ, might more fully possess the life that He has for us as disciples. Dispossessing the ways of the flesh and the world and the devil and sin in order that we might possess more the life that Christ has for us. It's not a salvation by works thing. It's a walking in faithful discipleship thing. So verse 4, And the Lord will do to them as He did to Sihon and Og, the kings of the Amorites, and to their land when He destroyed them. And the Lord will give them over to you, and you shall do to them according to the whole commandment that I have commanded you. In other words, you are going to have military victory over the peoples in this land, just as I gave to you over those kings of the Ammonites. Um, or the Amorites, rather, Sihon and Og. The land that they were basically in was the result of them defeating those kings. Now we get a, uh, a very important phrase that will be repeated at the end of Deuteronomy and the beginning of the book of Joshua, and this may be familiar language to some of you. Uh, let's just read these uh, first few words here, this first phrase in verse 6. Be strong and courageous. All right, be strong and courageous. I'll continue. Do not fear or be in dread of them, for it is the Lord your God who goes with you. He will not leave you or forsake you. Then Moses summoned Joshua and said to him in the sight of all Israel, let's read that phrase again here, be strong and courageous. Thank you. For you shall go with this people into the land that the Lord has sworn to their fathers to give to them, and you shall put Them in possession of it. It is the Lord who goes before you. He will be with you and he will not leave you or forsake you. Do not fear or be dismayed. And guys, as we look at this moment, this was a fairly emotional and impactful moment for the people of Israel because they knew that this leader that they had followed for these 40 years was going away. And this succession plan was going to happen where this man named Joshua, who was Moses' assistant, who was, he was a known commodity. He wasn't a, a guy who just happened to pop up out of nowhere. But still, this transition was going to probably be one that led them to have a lot of anxiety, a lot of concern because of what they did not know. And we can think about that in, in our own experiences and leadership, whether it's in the corporate world or maybe the church world, where a pastor or a boss or an executive or someone leaves. And the question is, well, who is the new person going to be? And what is their leadership going to be like? How is it going to be for us? But the constant message to the people and then to Joshua personally is be strong and courageous. And we will see that language show up again in Joshua chapter 1. And what what a blessing and what a promise to Joshua as a leader as well that God would use him and that Joshua's confidence was to be in the Lord as well. So, so that sets up this, this truth that Joshua would succeed Moses. And we'll look more at that next week as Joshua is officially commissioned with this courageous charge from God himself. Let's move on to chapter 31, verses 14 through 18. So, uh, and and here is, um, is, I guess you could say it's the first part of the commissioning. We'll have the kind of second part of the commissioning come up again in Joshua chapter 1. Um, but we'll we'll start here in Deuteronomy 31, verse 14. And the Lord said to Moses, Behold the day's approach when you must die. Okay, now that would seem obvious enough. What God is really saying is, it's close. You're really close. 120 years, Moses, you you got to know that it's close. Uh, be, um, call Joshua and present yourselves in the tent of meeting that I may commission him. So God is doing the commissioning of this leader. And Moses uh, and Joshua went and presented themselves in the tent of meeting. And the Lord appeared in the tent in a pillar of cloud. And the pillar of cloud stood over the entrance to, of the tent. And the Lord said to Moses, Behold, you are about to lie down with your fathers. That's a euphemism for death. Then uh, this people will rise and whore after the foreign gods among them in the land that they are entering. And they will forsake me and break my covenant that I have made with them. Then my anger will be kindled against them in that day, and I will forsake them and hide my face from them, and they will be devoured. And many evils and troubles will come upon them, so that they will say in that day, have not these evils come upon us because our God is not among us, and I will surely hide my face in that day because of all the evil that they have done, because they have turned to other gods, and then verse twenty three and the Lord commissioned Joshua, the son of Nun, and said, "Be strong and courageous, for you shall bring the people of, uh, of Israel into the land that I swore to give to them. I will be with you." Um, Interesting as we read those verses in in juxtaposition with each other, um, you would hope that everything was going to be Moses. I want to give you some really, really good news here at the end of your life, right? I want to give you a a very optimistic picture of what life is going to be like for these people that you have suffered with for 40 years in the wilderness and um, and we are on the cusp of this promised land, which, by the way, you're not going to be able to enter, but they will. And, oh, by the way, when they enter into it, eventually they're going to, the language is very explicit and, and almost salacious here, they're going to whore after other gods. You know, that, that, that sexual imagery of, they're going to be uh, so lustful for the idols and the false gods of the Canaanites. So, this is not exactly... Uh, ending on a high note in in some respects for Moses as he hears this prediction that God knows will happen. And unfortunately, if you've read history in the Old Testament, you know exactly what happens. And that is exactly what happens is that the people begin to adopt the the pagan idolatry and practices and and, um, just the uh, abominations of the peoples that they were supposed to dispossess, so that they could truly possess and live a flourishing life worshiping Yahweh alone. So Moses gets this very real picture that God is predicting that His people will be um, an apostate people down the road. Now that, of course, is not what you want to hear as you're getting ready to lie down on that deathbed. But as we think about the history of God's people, we know that this would happen, and God uses some very powerful language and some very frightening language about hiding his face, and really, in a sense, withdrawing his felt presence. He was always with his people, but they would not feel that presence. They would feel almost an absence as God would hide his face. And that doesn't mean he's playing a game of hide and seek. That means he is uh, withdrawing his hand of blessing upon his disobedient people so that they will feel the weight of what they have done and the consequences of their sin. And you will it would be devoured. And we know fast-forwarding several hundreds of years that as the nation would go through a very painful split and the northern tribes would form the official nation of Israel and the southern tribe would be the nation of Judah, that God would take the people in that northern part of Israel away in 722 BC through the captivity and defeat of the Assyrian kingdom. And then we know in 586 BC, after several years of really fighting and oppression from the Babylonian Empire that the King Nebuchadnezzar would lead a a nasty um, destruction of the city of Jerusalem, and it would be completely destroyed in 586 B.C., and those people of Judah were taken into captivity into Babylon. That is an example of the consequences of the ongoing downward spiral of the sin that God had to step in in loving discipline of His people and say, You are going to experience some of these painful consequences. And yet he commissions Joshua to say, be strong and courageous. So uh, we have to understand even Joshua's perspective was one of, how how is this going to go for me? Um, As we uh, look at the, the passages that follow, we have a very interesting song here at the end of Deuteronomy in chapter 32. We have Moses really recounting all that God had done, recounting all of God's ways. And um, just a Bible study, um, I'm not going to say it's an inside tip, but this is examples of this song from Moses in Deuteronomy 32, as well as looking back to Exodus chapter 15, which is a song that Moses leads the people in singing after they are delivered through the Red Sea, leads some scholars to believe what I think is a very reasonable position that one of the ways that Moses taught the people of Israel when they left Egypt about who Yahweh was and who he had called them to be is that he may have led them in these songs that recounted who God was. Maybe they're walking through the wilderness and he's leading them in this song. And some scholars believe that that may have even been what Moses used through the Spirit's inspiration to help write the first five books of the Bible in the Torah because of these songs that he was leading the people in. And at least two of those songs actually got written down, but maybe he was leading them in a song of creation and describing how God created, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Um, But it's always interesting to see these hymns, these songs of praise recounting God's faithfulness throughout different parts of Scripture. It's almost, almost as if a psalm is being written here at the end of Deuteronomy. And then uh, we move then to chapter 33, uh, sorry, 32, verses 48 through the end of the chapter. We read that very day the Lord spoke to Moses, "Go up this mountain to the uh, th- this mountain of the Abirim, Mount Nebo, which is in the land of Moab." And, and God's going to repeat that it's in the land of Moab. Uh, "'opposite Jericho, and view the land of Canaan, "'which I am giving to the people of Israel for a possession, "'and die on the mountain which you go up, "'and be gathered to your people, "'as Aaron your brother died on Mount Hor, "'and was gathered to his people, "'because you broke faith with me "'in the midst of the people of Israel "'at the waters of Meribah Kadesh, "'in the wilderness of Zin, "'and because you did not treat me as holy "'in the midst of the people of Israel.' For you shall see the land before you, but you shall not go there into the land that I am giving to the people of Israel. Now, we, we've read about how God promised Moses, even towards the beginning of the book of Deuteronomy, that you will go up to this place and you'll go up to the crest of these mountains and you'll be able to look across the Jordan River. You'll be able to see the land, but you're not going to be able to go into it. And again, that's the consequence of Moses not treating God as holy in the midst of the people of Israel. Um, So that then, friends, leads us to uh, the death of Moses, which is the very end of the book of Deuteronomy. It's a short chapter, chapter 34. Let's take a look at that and then make some observations. Then... Moses went up from the plains of Moab to Mount Nebo to the top of Pisgah, which is, the opposite, which is opposite Jericho. And it would be opposite the Jordan River. Jericho's on one side, on the, the western side. Moses is on the eastern side looking across. And just imagine how many people have been to Israel before. And yeah, a few people. Uh, just imagine... Um, being able to see what Moses sees. And the Lord showed him all the land, Gilead as far as Dan, all Naphtali, and the land of Ephraim and Manasseh. All the, and by the way, those, some of those lands would be on the eastern side of the Jordan too, but he's also looking to the west, to that heart of the promised land. Um, and Manasseh, all the land of Judah, as far as the western sea, that is the, the, sea, uh, the Mediterranean Sea, which he could see in the distance, the Negeb, and the plain, that is the valley of Jericho, the city of palm trees, as far as Zoar. And the Lord said to him, This is the land of which I swore to Abraham, to Isaac and to Jacob, I will give to your offspring. I have let you see it with your eyes, but you shall not go over there. So Moses, the servant of the Lord, died there in the land of Moab, according to the word of the Lord. And he buried him in the valley of the land of Moab, opposite Beth Peor. But no one knows the place of his burial to this day. Moses was 120 years old when he died. His eye was undimmed and his vigor unabated. And the people of Israel wept for Moses in the plains of Moab thirty days. Then the days of weeping and mourning for Moses ended. And Joshua the son of Nun was full of the spirit of wisdom, for Moses had laid hands on him. So the people of Israel obeyed him and did as the Lord had commanded Moses. And there, was, and there, was not, there has not arisen a prophet since in Israel like Moses. Whom the Lord knew face to face, none like him, for all the signs and wonders that the Lord sent him to do in the land of Egypt, to Pharaoh and to all his servants into all his land, and for all the mighty power and all the great deeds of terror that Moses did in the sight of all Israel. That, friends, concludes the book of Deuteronomy. Um, As we think back about this final section, I am interested to read and thinking about Moses. While he is old, he is past his prime. Still, we find that his eye was undimmed, his vigor unabated. That shows that in some respects, he may have had more time left. He had the energy and the resources that God had empowered him to have as a leader for these people. But his time on earth had come to an end. And fascinating to think that God Himself is the one that buried Moses. Did you catch that? That God somehow did this, almost like God who has no hands, at least not until the person of Jesus, just as that same God created out of the dust man at the very beginning of Genesis, and now returns His prophet, His leader, to that dust. It's just fascinating to me. But it even shows, I think, I'm going on maybe some homiletical thin ice here. Um, I believe that Moses really did have a special place in God's heart. He was not perfect. He certainly fell short. And God required much of him. And the consequences for Moses' sin in certain moments was great. And he wasn't able to enter the land. But for God to, to personally bury this this servant of his, this prophet of his, I think is an intimate moment. Interestingly, we find that no one knows the place of his burial to this day. Uh, Brian, what was the the New Testament book that we... The book of Jude. All right. So this is a little on the spot. Let's see. Um, Brian, would you mind just reading in a loud voice? I think it's Jude verse 9. Yeah. So, so this is interesting thinking about uh, always encouraging guys is when the Old Testament and the New Testament have connection. So, as Brian has read from Jude verse 9, uh, Michael the archangel contending with the devil was disputing about the body of Moses. That, that's a that's a drawback to this passage in Deuteronomy 34 where no one knows where Moses is buried and We'd have to do some deeper looking into the, the the history of this verse in Jude. Does this mean that Satan found out where it was and Michael flew down to stop him and say, "No, you can't take that." We we don't know exactly. We're not sure. Um, but uh, but seeing how there is there's this constant connection between the Old Testament and the New Testament, and it's still a lot of mystery. Um, who knows? Maybe we'll have. Maybe, maybe that will be another time you can save that question for one of our Fools on Stools sections where we can come together again and say, what the heck is going on with Jude verse 9 in light of Deuteronomy chapter 34? Um, so there is a, there's another connection that I think is really uh, showing how God is gracious um, in, in this. And then we'll get to some, some principles and we'll have some more ample time for you to discuss around your tables but obviously we see this wonderful setup of Joshua being prayed for and filled with the Spirit, which is essential in any leadership endeavor that we do. It's essential in any endeavor we do as disciples of Jesus, to be filled with the Spirit of God. And then we find that no prophet has arisen since like Moses in all of Israel. And then, of course, a few weeks ago when Dale prepared the notes and I, I gave the presentation about Um, the king and the priest and the prophets of Israel. There's an ultimate king and priest and prophet. There, There is a prophet like Moses, even greater than Moses. Can you guess what his name is? It's Jesus, right? And so even that, knowing how this journey points us to Jesus Christ, seeing how Moses was this great leader for God's people, and yet an even greater leader who would lead them through an even greater exodus, An exodus that would include not just Jews but Gentiles alike as Jesus provides this salvation through His death on the cross for our sin and through His resurrection from the grave. He's ascended and He's returning one day to complete the exodus work that He began while He was on earth. That should give us great hope and great encouragement. We find another connection to what's going on here. Moses was not allowed to enter the land, right? Well, sort of, (laughs) and this connects to Jesus too. My friend, Brian, again, um, you may not remember this, but a a few weeks back, we're talking about Moses not entering the land and the consequences. And um, Brian, you said something that was really insightful. You said, actually, Moses snuck into the land or, or sneaks into the land So I'd like us to just take a quick look at Mark chapter 9, which uh, is a great account of this event in the life and ministry of Jesus called the Transfiguration. <clears throat> um, and it, there, there's something special about this, too, as we look at this in light of the whole gospel of uh, Mark. Some of you may have been with us when we studied through the gospel of the Mark of the Men's Breakfast maybe two two or three years ago. Um, but I'll just, I'll just read the first few verses of um, chapter 9, starting in verse 1. And he said to them, that is Jesus talking to his disciples, Truly I say to you, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God after it has come with power. And that's pointing to what happens now, what happens next. And after six days, Jesus took with him Peter, James, and John and led them up on a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before them, and his clothes became radiant, intensely white, as no one on earth could bleach them. And there appeared to them Elijah with Moses. And they were talking with Jesus. Wow. (laughs) And this would have been a mind-blowing, paradigm-shifting, unimaginable moment in the lives of these three Jewish men who looked to the teaching of these great people, Elijah representing the prophets, Moses representing the law, and they're talking with their rabbi, Jesus, who's lit up like a Christmas tree in downtown Colonial Williamsburg, except even brighter and even whiter. And so in shock, Jesus does, or Peter does not know what else to say. He, he says to Jesus, Rabbi, it is good that we are here. <laughs> well, yeah, I would think so. But again, we wouldn't have known what to say either. Let us make three tents, one for you and one for Moses and one for Elijah. For he did not know what to say, for they were terrified. And We find here verse 7. This is actually, if you look at all of the number of verses that come before Mark 9, 7, and all the verses in Mark that come after Mark 9, 7. Mark 9, 7 is actually the very middle verse in the book of Mark. If you were to put all the verses on one side of the scale and one side on the other, or one verses, all the verses on the other, the fulcrum, the very center of the Gospel of Mark is actually Mark 9-7. And I believe the Spirit intended it to be this way. Again, um, biblical chapters and verses that we have in our Bibles were not inspired. They were added by human people at a certain point in time. But the Spirit inspired these words. And so I believe that the Spirit had this verse in the very center of the Gospel of Mark. And a cloud overshadowed them, and a voice came out of the cloud. This is my beloved Son. Listen to Him. And suddenly, looking around, they no longer saw anyone with them, but only Jesus. So, uh, this came to mind as we're thinking about Moses dying, his body no one knows where it is, but yet somehow Michael and Satan are arguing over that in some way in the New Testament. But, but how there's no prophet that's ever risen like Moses, but yet there would be even greater, a greater prophet. That would be Jesus. And even though Moses was not able to get into the land during his physical life, he was able to, as Brian said, he snuck into the land in the transfiguration. He was able to, to covertly get in the land. And so Moses is actually in the land after all. And I think that even shows God graciously allowing this faithful prophet to point people continually to the Messiah Jesus, the prophet that was like him, that was to come, so that these disciples on this Mount of Transfiguration, Moses was continuing to do God's work, even after he'd passed away, to point people to the Messiah, to Jesus himself so that their ears would be open, and the voice of God himself would say, this is my beloved son, listen to him. So what do we do with all of that? What do we do with all of the lessons that we've had from the book of Deuteronomy as we've looked at Moses' life, preparing for our final week next week where we look at Joshua finally taking the people across the Jordan River? I I think that the admonition here of God's very voice to these disciples, to Peter, James, and John, with Moses and Elijah in witness, is that we listen to the voice of the Savior. We listen to the voice of Jesus when Jesus speaks out about how we are conducting our lives. We listen to the voice of Jesus when Jesus speaks out about where our thoughts go. We listen to the voice of Jesus when we recognize how our heart towards our brother or sister in Christ or our spouse or our children is not honoring to the Lord God Himself. We listen to the voice of Jesus to become more equipped, more loving, more gracious disciples who allow ourselves to be more availed to the power of the Holy Spirit to transform us so that the fruit of that spirit of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control defines our lives as followers of Jesus. No matter what the circumstances are, no matter how frustrated we are, how angry we are, even if it's righteous anger, we listen to the words of Jesus, the beloved Son of God. Because even after He died, Moses, sneaking into the Promised Land, is witnessing these words in this moment and continuing even to point us today as followers of Christ to Jesus himself. So that's what I feel led to share this morning. Um, thank you. Um, next week, we will have our final week. Everyone hold up their, their index finger. One more week. We'll look at Joshua, actually be parts of chapters 1, 3, and 4, where we actually be crossing the Jordan River. And our journey, at least as far as we're studying this story, will be complete. But our journey, of course, continues. So I'll pray for you and just enjoy some time around your tables just talking about this. I don't have any questions, but, um, but maybe you can ask yourself or yourselves, um, where, where do you hear the voice of Jesus? How do you understand what He's asking you to do? And maybe there's an, a specific area of your life where you're struggling to understand what is the beloved Son of God to whom we are to listen, telling you in a moment Maybe it's with a relationship with a family member or a neighbor, or maybe it's a vocational challenge you're going through. but then you can pray for one another, and then we'll uh, we'll be dismissed to come back next week. So let me pray. Father, you are so gracious, even thinking about Moses, the the servant and the prophet, whose life is a remarkable one. I know that if if we had uh, looked back on our lives and say, "Wow, if, if you had used us like you used Moses, we would say, that our lives were valuable. And the truth is, Lord, you do use us as you use Moses in a different way, in a different method, but you use us as your servants to speak your truth and to help people understand uh, the truth of the gospel of Jesus. And So allow us to know how we can be faithful. As your servant Moses was faithful, not perfect, but faithful. Allow us to know how we too can hear the voice of your beloved son, through the words even of the scriptures going back into the Old Testament, which point to Him. We're so grateful for the consistency of Your Word, the consistency of the the story of the gospel that has intersected our lives and brought us to faith in Christ. Help us to walk with Him and listen to Him, to shema, to listen and obey. We ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Thanks for joining us today. For more information on the Williamsburg Friday Men's Breakfast, please visit wcchapel.org slash mensbreakfast. I hope you'll join us again next week for the next installment of our journey with the Israelites through the wilderness. Until then, God bless and have a great week.